1: to the first edition of getting in a college coach conversation of 2021. Now the secret is that we're actually recording this in the middle of December in 2020. Um but this will be the first time on the other side of the new year that you'll get a chance to visit with us and to talk all about college applications. And for today's episode, we have three segments that are lined up that are really focused on these transitions to the new year. We'll talk a little bit about what you can do with respect to both the admission side of the process, and college finance after you've submitted your application? Do you just sit back on your hands, or do you have an opportunity to continue to connect with schools and make a case uh, for your candidacy or for your financial aid? Uh, But before we jump into that conversation, we want to turn our attention, maybe for the first time in a while, (laughs) to the high school juniors, Um, Juniors now are sort of going to get the spotlights because seniors are finished with their process or they are for the most part. And so joining me to talk about what juniors should be thinking about at this stage in the calendar is my friend from Burke, Virginia, Karen Spencer. Hey, Karen.
2: Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me again.
1: Thank you for coming in on the show. You're actually a, a pinch hitter today. We were able to, to bring you in at the last moment. So I really appreciate your flexibility. Um, I don't know if I hadn't said that. I think people wouldn't even know that it wasn't your they turn wouldn't. to be on the show it's for a, today. It's a
2: little snowy here on the East Coast. So uh, we had a few people needing to grab children from...
1: That's right. There, there are going to be some feet of snow, yeah. <laughs> uh, I understand. Not out here, um, but but out there. Um, so let's talk a little bit about juniors. Um I don't know about you, but I haven't really thought about them much uh, (laughs) for the last
2: month or two, uh,
1: which is not a comment on them as people, but instead of just about where they are in the process. And, you know, I often want them in November and December, especially to be focused on their academics, to make sure that they tie up really strong grades for that first semester. Um, Maybe there's a test plan that they're thinking about. What are some things that as we move here into the new year, That are going to be front of mind for eleventh graders who are now sort of starting to think about the college process,
2: right? I think there's I have kind of four main things that I would want any junior at this stage to really be focused on, and then the four things I want them to be focused on have a little bit of a twist considering the state of the world. Okay, so four um, with a twist, great. So I think the first thing I want any student really to be doing a junior at this stage is to be doing research into the college process. This is when you'll see a lot of people sign up to work with college coach, right? This is when yeah. the panic sets in. The PSAT scores have just come back. Um, you often get inundated with mail and you're like, oh, right. I'm going to college in a year and a half. I need to start thinking about this or your parent starts thinking about this. Um, and so right now, especially with the twist is that, you know, in February, March is a traditional time when juniors tend to visit schools. That's probably still not going to be on the table in February or March, but mm-hmm. it might be in, April, May, June, July, who knows, right? So yeah. I would love students to be using this kind of unexpected downtime. Um, and I know right now, especially if they're going to finals, they may not feel like this is such downtime, but it will be shortly, right? That's A lot fine. of your winter sports may have been either canceled or late or not quite as intense or whatever the case may be, summer program or um, winter program. So take this opportunity to do the research that you can online. So- mm-hmm. You know, one of the nice things, and I would actually anticipate this might stay, um, about COVID has that schools are doing these online information sessions. So the things you usually had to drive or fly to the college to go listen to the admissions officer give their spiel in an admissions office, they're now doing online, right? You have the, you know, you don't have to fly now. You don't have to get in the car and sit in traffic. You can get in your bunny slippers and go listen to the, frankly, the exact same information you would have gotten on campus as you would on this online presentation. So it doesn't replace the college visit, There, there nothing does. I can't say that's going to be the case. But at this part of the college visit, listening to the admissions officer give their spiel, that's the same information, whether you're sitting at home or you're sitting in the middle of wherever.
1: That's right. Um, and we just, um, we just came out of a team meeting, uh, you and I, where um, some of our colleagues talked to us about the virtual visits they had just done to the University of Miami and to Tulane and they they heard from admission officers they were able to talk about special programs and features they learned about the cities and the location so it doesn't replace a visit but there's a lot of really great information that you can have there and i think it's a great first round of exposure to colleges because it's free you don't right. have to, you know, devote time. You don't have to buy airline tickets. You don't have to get a hotel. Um, all of those things are out. You can just go ahead and do the virtual visit. So I, I love that as a tip for juniors uh, to yeah. start with. And there's
2: name. also q and A Q&A at the end of those too. So if you've got questions, yeah, live, right. So you can, you know, you don't have to be on camera, but you can still have, ask your questions and do that kind of thing. Great um, as I'm sure you've covered on other radio programs, schools are still some schools, I should say, are still tracking this interest, right? So instead of deciding whether you've been on campus, they're paying attention. So whether you've taken advantage of this opportunity or not. So again, that's not an opportunity you want to squander. So doing those getting on niche.com or whatever web unigo, whatever is your you know, website of you know choice in terms of searching out things. Um, so that would be my first tip is let's use this downtime to research colleges.
1: Yeah, it's perfect. And I I often tell juniors that you're really gonna be going through this research process multiple times and multiple iterations we're really starting at sort of this 30,000 foot view of what's out there. And then you'll be at 10,000 feet. And then you'll be putting sort of your final contenders under a microscope. Um, but now's a really good time to start with that 30,000 foot view on the research front. So yeah. I agree. Um, get used to it. Start looking at colleges. Your list will be of much better quality, the more detail you put into the research. Correct. So what's, what's number two? What's the second thing that you're Asking so my, to
2: think about. my next two things are kind of related. Um, one okay. is keeping your grades up, right? Again, you Please. do. Um, this is this may be that second semester, junior year. Maybe for some colleges, the last set of grades they ever see before they decide to admit you. So you are out on the West Coast. The University of California system um, famously does not look at grades um, in terms of twelfth grade. They look at curriculum, but they don't look at grades. And um, so that, you know, that those kinds of schools, then you have other schools, should a student decide to apply early action or early decision, that's going to be due November 1st. So this, they may see first quarter grades of senior year, but they may never see your final grade senior year. So this is the last kind of, you know, real academic piece they're going to see of your work. And so now is not the time to take a vacation. Yeah. And I, I think that
1: sometimes when I'll talk with students, they'll get so caught up in all of the additional things. And I think we'll talk about this with respect to stuff like research and extracurricular activities. And just all of this, I need to generate more content for my application becomes the primary source of attention for students. And I take their eye off the ball with respect to their grades. And so if you have a really poor performance in your 11th grade year, know no amount of extracurricular involvement is going to make up for that at, at school that you might be interested in so academics really always have to be the top priority and if you find that some of the other things that you're doing are taking your attention away from your school work you've got to reconfigure sort of what your priorities are and make sure that those academics really do come first um, <laughs> it feels to me Karen like um, I don't know if this is a trend that's accurate but it does feel to me like fewer and fewer schools are seeing the senior year grades, or maybe they're just being more open about the fact that the end of 11th grade is the last time that you have an opportunity to improve on your performance. I'm thinking especially of the larger public universities. Of course, the UCs have long been this way, um, but it, it does feel like for a lot of the bigger schools, some of the, those that get more applications, they're, they're really not looking at that first quarter of the senior year. Um, right.
2: Right. I think about like a Penn State or a place that has a due date of November 1st, right? That yep. That is their due date, right? Or a place that has, you know, a priority deadline, um, which is what a lot of schools call it at large state schools are November 1st, December 1st, right? Most first quarter or first semester grades don't usually get published until almost February, right? right? So you've got a lot. So maybe they'll hold on to you because if they're like, hmm, your year didn't look so hot. Let's see what first year looks like. Then maybe. But there are going to be, yes, increasingly um, a lot of schools that do not end up seeing your first semester grades. That's year. right. And I mean I, we
1: can just scroll through the list that we have within our team of all the schools that our students have gotten into here on you know December 16th. And those schools have not seen first semester grades, period. Right. Because so they're just not available
2: starts fourth quarter. So or, uh, sorry, the, the the ending the um, you know end of the
1: first quarter a month ago. So yeah. Yeah, so so keep the emphasis as juniors on the academics. Um If you are a senior, you do want to finish strong through the rest of the year. I think that's something we'll talk about probably in our next segment for what to do once the apps are in. Um, But uh, for juniors, certainly it's really critical to do well in this semester. Um, you said that this, the third tip was sort of related to this, right?
2: So the third is really related back to classes, and this is about the time I start reminding students that for many of them, one or two of their teachers may need to say nice things about them at the end of the year. Um, I it could come up. Yeah. So if you were applying to a school that asked for teacher recs, um, no school asks for any more than two, but a lot of them ask for two teachers. We usually suggest that those teachers be from 11th or 12th grade, and to be honest. The 12th grade can be hard because, again, to this point of if your application is due in November, yeah. you know, and you have started class day after Labor Day. Right. This is not a lot of time to develop a relationship with your teacher. So most students I generally advise look at their 11th grade teachers. Now, yeah. the large majority of students here have been either in virtual learning or at least partial virtual learning. Um, and so I had a student just asked me the other day, it was actually a transfer in this case. But, you know, how do I get a teacher? right? It's harder to create that, that you know, camaraderie. You don't stay after class when you're virtual, right? And, and talk to the teacher or whatever. So I think students really want to keep that in mind when like, okay, I've got five more months or whatever it is to foster a relationship with this teacher. So they have something to say about me. Now, how you do that in a virtual environment is different for every person, or maybe you are in school. And so that's a little bit easier. But um, I know my daughter who's in eighth grade turned on her camera the other day. And I can tell you I don't think this is unique to our high school, turning on your camera in uh, the seventh through the 12th grade set is not like they were told they were not, could not be required to. So nobody does. And nobody wants to be that teenager who's like, Oh, hi, I'm turning on my camera when nobody else in your class turned on their camera. That's right. But she did answer a few questions and I, and the teacher literally emailed me and was like, I was so happy to see a face, you know, like it was so nice. You know, she always contributes, she does whatever. So I'm not here to toot my own daughter's horn. I'm sure in other classes, that's not the case in this. Not world. Enough for the segments anyway, but. Yeah, exactly. But right. You got to think creatively here. How can I stand out when I may have only ever been on screen and maybe not even with my face on screen, right? Like it depends on how your environment has been, but that's something I do want people to be thinking about.
1: No, that's a great point. And we have, we even have colleagues that we work with. And I think a lot of people in this sort of virtual environment where you're giving a presentation to. 30 people who are off camera, and it's sort of like, who am I talking to? What's my audience for this? And I think teachers feel the same way. They're in a very sort of whole cool set of circumstances, um, and so you can help them out by being off camera. Um, you can also just communicate with them a little bit more proactively. Um, you know, Be timely, of course, with turning in assignments. Be somebody that asks questions, but you might do that now by email or through some sort of learning platform rather than staying after class to do so. You don't want to be a pest in this regard, but I think that if you have authentic questions or interests that you want to follow up on, you know, do so. It's a great way to develop a relationship with a teacher. And teachers, I think, still will expect to write letters of recommendation. And so what are they going to draw on? Um, you can be at the top of a virtual class in the same way that you could be in, at the top of a real class. It just might take a different set of skills and different, you know, Set of circumstances for you to do something
2: different kind of engagement. What's that? A different kind of engagement.
1: Different kind of engagement. That's right. And you know, I think it's a good reminder, also, just in terms of its timeline. You know, if you start thinking, okay, well, what about my sophomore teachers? Well, your time with them was interrupted in March when you probably were sent home, and at that point, there was no virtual schooling that was really robust or that was created to help support students. So they really saw you kind of just peter out for the rest of the year. So. In many ways, I think the junior teacher still is going to be the reliable option for 11th graders graduating in the in the
2: um, spring of 2020. Yeah, I know. I have had to shift in my mindset. I'm like, oh, 2022.
1: 2022. Okay, get under control. Okay, and then you had a fourth tip for those 2022 graduates.
2: Right. So this one also has a little bit of a twist as well because that's the world we live in. But one is this last one is about test prep. Um, mm. How testing finds itself for this next round of applicants is anybody's guess. I'm not here to whip out a crystal ball and say I have any idea because I didn't have it. Again, if you told me nine months ago, I'd be in my ninth month of quarantine, I would have laughed. So, you know, you don't ask me what I think. Um, But I think it would not surprise me if a lot of schools, and by a lot, that's a big range, I realize, but choose to stay test optional. I can see some schools being like, huh, we like this. We we like the flexibility to not have to worry about this. And then there's going to be plenty that are like, oh, thank God we can go back to looking at test scores again. So I think you don't know what your school list may look like in terms of that, but it's still, if you feel like, I know I'm going to plan to take this test, again, now would be an obvious time to do some prep, because again, taking this downtime, this is usually when we would start to think about prep anyway, even in normal times. Um, so if you know if you're thinking about taking a March or an April test, usually the rule of thumb is to start prepping three months prior to that test. We're about at that stage right now.
1: Yeah and I would I would acknowledge that you know
2: not a lot
1: has changed in terms of the presence of the virus but I think that the smarts that we have around being safe in the context of the virus has made the testing environment a little bit more manageable um, our partners over at Arbor Bridge sent out a newsletter to us that said the college board reported that 68% of registered students took December's exam so you know nearly 70% of students are able to do so back in March May, June, there were cancellations everywhere. So it is something that's now becoming more widely available. And I think my intuition about this, Karen, is going to be that those schools that have long wanted tests, your most selective schools, may flip back into requiring those exams next year because such a large percentage of students are able to take them and will be, That I would imagine that that percentage will continue to grow throughout the calendar year. I agree. Um, One final thing. You gave four tips. I think maybe there's a fifth, which is around extracurricular activities, right? And um, a lot of students, and we were talking about just in in the moments before the show, um, a lot of students will sort of say, everything got canceled. I wasn't able to do anything in 2020. And I think we're all in that same kind of boat. Do you have any sort of parting words for students as they're thinking about 2021 and what might happen to their extracurricular profile in the new year?
2: I think especially, I mean, again, we're going into winter. We're at crazy COVID rates. So if anything, your extracurriculars most likely, if they had been planned, are less likely to happen than probably outside of the March timeframe. This is about as bad as we probably going to get. Um, so I always think, though, you've had time now, right? This is not, this is not April where we're still kind of shell-shocked and like, oh, right. what do we do with my time, right? Like, we've been doing this a while, and we're going to do it a little while longer. And so now is the time to really think, okay, come January, February, March, or however, April, however long this lasts until things, you know, get into some semblance of, I have normal extracurriculars to do again. um, What can you do, right? Because I think at some point it's not okay anymore to say, well, they were canceled. Well, so was everybody else's, right? So, so were mine, so were your, everybody's were canceled you had time to essentially pivot and think about something else you can do. Maybe it's totally unrelated to what you used to do. Maybe it's simply doing lovely community service. Maybe you decide to shovel all of your neighborly, your neighbor's elderly neighbors, that was hard to say, um, walkways from now till April because you don't have to get up early to go to school because you can just roll out in your pajamas and go to class in 15 minutes. So there are things you can do to pivot. And I think we're going to have expected, especially in some of the selective places that you have pivoted into doing something, What that is is much more flexible that's right
1: so whether you're helping your neighborly elders or your elderly (laughs) neighbors there are lots of opportunities for juniors coming up in 2021 karen i I thought it was a great rundown it's great to have five things to focus on Uh, hopefully folks were taking notes but thanks a lot for coming on the show and talking through that with us
2: always nice to be here thanks ian
1: awesome uh folks when we come back we're going to talk about what to do after you've submitted your application Uh, you won't want to miss it so stick around
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more.
3: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Hi, folks. Welcome back to Getting In a College Coach Conversation. Again, we're recording this in the middle of December, but you're listening to us in the first week of January. And by that point in time, most seniors will be done done with their applications. They've all been submitted. But just because you're finished working on your apps and you've submitted them to all of your schools, well, that doesn't mean that you've heard back from your schools just yet. Um, And so we're going to talk a little bit about what seniors can do once the apps are in. And joining me to have that conversation is my former colleague from the Reed Admission Office, uh, current colleague at College Coach, Abigail Anderson. Hey, Abigail, how's it going?
4: Hi, Ian. It's going well. It's very cold here in western New York.
1: I hear there's going to be some snow out there. That's what people are saying.
4: Yes. For once, we are not getting it. So I will lord that over my other East Coast colleagues. <laughs> but maybe by the time this airs, we will have lake effect feet of snow.
1: Okay. And, um, you know, it's raining here, as you recall from your days. That's the usual. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were sort of joking about this, you know, seniors are going to submit their applications. What can they do aside from just wait patiently? And maybe we'll talk a little bit about what it means to wait patiently in the context of the application process, because there are students that I think struggle to do that correctly. But are there any specific tips that you think students should be aware of as they move from submitting applications to waiting to hear back from schools?
4: I think that waiting is probably the hardest part
1: of this whole process. Isn't there a song that goes, Waiting is the hardest part? I think so. I'm not going to sing it right now, but yeah, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to
4: point out. Yes. No, you're so right. I think, well, I, so, okay, yeah. So I think a lot of people think that like the actual writing process or the applying or that maybe it's the SATs, ACTs are going to be the hardest part, but It's really vulnerable to send all of this info and hard work kind of out into the ether Mm -hmm. and then just sit there and wait and not get feedback immediately. I think especially now we're used to pretty immediate feedback, um, whether it's on a Facebook post or our teachers providing feedback digitally now, it's getting harder to wait Um, and unfortunately, I think the bottom line is you kind of just, you, you got to do it. You've got to wait. There's nothing you can do to speed up the process. But there are, I think, things you can do in the meantime to distract yourself and to also prep for the post-decision.
1: I want to talk about that, but you, you just sort of reminded me of, of an aspect of our process. You know, we, we both read applications at Reed and and we had early decision um, applications were due November 15th. uh, I believe was when we were there. And so if you think about a particular file, so one file from one student that's being sent to a college, the student thinks, okay, I've applied by November 15th, but the mechanics of actually reading that student's file could happen at any point between about the 15th and whenever the notifications go out, or at least a few days before the notifications go out. Um, and I think that that's a hard thing for students to understand. It's like, it sort of feels like, okay, I've submitted, you've read it. When are you going to tell me? Um, right. sort of describe kind of what that early process just looked like in terms of the mechanics of how many files you're reading, what the discussions look like? Like just how does one student's application fit within the cogs of the admission machinery?
4: Gosh, yeah. So I think it's the the first thing is y- you have submitted your part of the application, but there are likely a lot of other people submitting pieces of your application on your behalf. Right. And so right. until all of those pieces are read and attached to your file and collated and your birth date is matched up and your middle name is matched up, your file is actually not complete. So Mm -hmm. one of the first things you really need to do is, is make sure when you, when, once you have hit submit, you need to go back and make sure that all those pieces end up with your file. That's one thing that you can be doing right now is checking the portal and checking the status of each of the pieces of your application, because you're on the hook for all of them. If a letter of write doesn't show up, that's on you. That's it's your not responsibility. You. It is yeah. your responsibility. Yeah. Um, and it's your responsibility to check too, That's right? right? Like the, the college is going to tell you in that one method.
1: Mostly. Right. And, and when we were reading applications, we didn't actually see a file until it was ready to read, right? right. So there would be outstanding materials. Those files just wouldn't come to us.
4: Yeah. They when they were well ready to not exist.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah. exactly. I didn't, I
4: didn't know that Ian Fisher had applied until everything that Ian Fisher submitted.
1: That's right. That's online. right. Um, and by the way, you did not read my application. No,
4: that's some serious <laughs>
1: Benjamin Button stuff. Uh, if you had done that, uh, I had a, st- I have a student that I was speaking with just uh, last week, actually. And he was checking finally on his application portal. And he had actually noticed That his transcript was considered arrived, but only at the schools where he had entered in the grades and the courses manually. They had checked that they had their transcript because they count that as official for those schools. But for the schools that required the official transcript, it was showing up as not having arrived. And so he went back to his counselor and said, I don't think my transcript actually got to any of my schools, even though it's showing up for these schools because they're counting it in a different way. And they found that there was an error in the email address that they had given him to send his request. And so they finally figured that all out. But if he hadn't checked his application status portal, he wouldn't have known this was the case. And he would have an incomplete application to those schools.
4: That's, my heart just skipped a beat. I mean, that's like, that is the worst case scenario, but that's what you have to be preparing for. You want to be double checking. everything. That's right. Um, So... Until, until your file is com- completely complete, nothing gets read. And then I think each individual reader can kind of, at most schools, do what they want. I read more or less in the order of completion. So, you know, if your file was completed at 12.59, it was read before the one that was completed at one o one p.m. I mean, I just went kind of chronologically. That might not be how your reader works, and but that's also not something you can control over. So you, right. you kind of just have to let that go. Um, and I was explaining to a student uh, the other the other week that uh, files are not complete, and the decision is not, f- or files are not complete. Decisions are not final until the email goes out or the the right. portal is updated. Like. I might have you in my pile as an admit, but when I go to committee, I might realize you're a deny. You know, exactly. so, so things are in flux until the decision is final. And that's why you're not getting a decision even immediately after your file is read. They're waiting to see the whole pool, the entire early decision pool or regular decision pool or whichever pool you're in.
1: Right, There are very few people in a college admission office who can unilaterally make a decision about a particular file. Usually it's the, the dean or vice president, and, and that's about it. Um, so an admission officer can't just sort of say, okay, I want this kid, they're going to get in. Might go to a second reader, Ultimately, every file typically has to be approved by the dean or by a committee of some kind. Um, And and this is especially true at bigger universities where they have lots of seasonal staff who come in and do the application reading. They will read and rate those applications. They've been well-trained. They know what they're looking for. But just because a seasonal person says this student is in doesn't mean that that gets sort of fast-tracked through the process. Um, So there are lots and lots of things that are happening behind the scenes, and I think, you know, the instinct from a family is to say, well, what's happening with my file? Do you think it's a good idea for a student to reach out to an admission officer in the middle of February and say, hey, what's going on? Is there anything I can help you? Like, can I get you anything? Do you need some more information about me? Just, you know, an earnest request like that, but maybe a little bit over exuberant. How would you respond to that?
4: Um, no, please don't. <laughs> Because the nicest way to put it. Um, so I, when I my last year at Reed was probably my my heaviest reading load, just because I was a more seasoned reader and I couldn't read more. Yeah. Um, but I, I was being asked to read about 150 to 200 applications a week, um, and so that was that, That's a and that that's was lot. done on that was done on top of answering my email or giving an information session on a Tuesday or training tour guides or, you know, all my other responsibilities, mm-hmm. planning admitted student days, which I know you did too, you know, all right. these different things. And so, um, no, <laughs> I, I did not have time to, or I did not really in, invite a lot of extra communication from students. Um, and I know, for me personally, that would have really frustrated me. And as I say to students, the last thing you want to do is frustrate or annoy the person who's making this decision on your file.
1: Right. Right.
4: Doing an email is not going to be the reason you're denied, but like let's try to keep it. Let's try to keep the positives. Yeah. Positive.
1: I mean, you know, it could ultimately come down to a situation where you have to advocate for a student in a particular position, or maybe it's a very small uh, school with a, you know, and you're just sort of fine tuning the class around the edges. And sometimes in those circumstances, it comes down to an admission officer really pushing hard for a kid and someone from another region that's saying, yeah, I'm not, I'm not attached to this student. Right. Um, And so I think, you know, you're probably not going to get penalized for sending an email to an admission officer. But I think you also just want to sort of take a step back and wait, um, wait graciously, you will hear from the schools when the time is right to hear from them. Um, and it tends to be the case that that more information in this case is not always a good thing. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you a question about visiting. And I think that this is sort of a this is a tough one. Um, you know, if you're a student that's applied to a particular school, maybe you've never been to see the campus. How do you think about planning to visit? Um, and, and this might be a different answer depending on where we are in the calendar, whether that's the sort of the ski week, I guess, in February that a lot of students have um, in the Northeast, whether it's a spring break, which is in March, which is typically much closer to when decisions are announced. Um, how should students think about whether to visit campus and what to do when they're there?
4: If, and I think we have to add in who's traveling where in 2021 and yeah. can your family travel and is it safe and what are return policies on flights and all of that. I mean, it's it's an extra sure. complicated conversation this year. But, um, the, the you know, the drop dead date, like the last date you could possibly get your decision back is April 1st. Right. So, so planning travel, I think in March is a little risky. I think it's emotionally risky that you could be visiting a, you could have planned a trip for a school that you end up being denied from, Mm -hmm. um, or that you're still waiting on a decision from. And there's, that's, that's honestly just, you're kind of in limbo and that's tough to do. Um, but there's also the issue of trying to visit or revisit all of the schools where you've been admitted between April 1st and May 1st. Really hard to do. Is really hard to do.
1: And, um, yeah. Thank you for the reality check on the pandemic as well. Because I was sort of like taking us back to our Reed days where I was like, oh, because I, I remember yep. a time at Reed where we had a student in the lobby yep. the day before decisions were going to go out who was not going to get in. Yeah. And as admission officers, that was really challenging. And I remember once we had a student in the lobby the day before the decisions went out, who was going to get in. And we went in and, and threw confetti on that student. It was really exciting. So, I mean, it, it could work out well, but I think that it's probably the the opportunity to celebrate is probably outweighed by the awkwardness of yeah. you not know, being in the no pile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think just like devoting resources and time and energy that you have, especially when you have to be extra careful around travel in this year, um, going into 2021, I think you want to be really thoughtful about why you might decide to visit a campus and what that looks like for you. And especially what information are you hoping to get that will help you to make your final decision.
4: Yeah.
1: Um, we haven't talked at all about the role of the deferral and what you can do if you're deferred. And, you know, I spoke with joy a couple of weeks ago on what a deferral can kind of mean. And we'll talk about how to write that love letter to schools. Um, How would you recommend students think about providing updates for colleges during this period in time, say you've won an award or some sort of competition has ended and, and you finished high. Like, is that information that you would recommend that students Actively share with colleges, or um, should they keep it to themselves as they're waiting for that decision?
4: Yeah. So, actually, just had a conversation with a student um, an hour ago about this exact converse, this exact question. So, right. um, what I recommended to her, we'll see if you back this up, okay. was that she should keep a running list of updates from the the date of the defer until I said late January, early February, and then mm-hmm. provide one bigger, more substantial update um, at that time, rather than all these like mini little updates, a flurry of emails in between.
1: No, I think that's terrible advice. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's what I would recommend as well. I think that makes, that makes total sense to me well, is you want to send one longer thing. And even if there are no further updates you're not worse off as a deferred student by waiting to send those than you would be sending them right as they happen. Because the reality is that as, if you're deferred, that admission officer is not thinking about you until it's time to come back to your application much later in the process. Um, and for a student who's applying regular, I do think that you could send an update, but I would probably send it, and I don't know what your take would be on this, but I would send it to like the admission at school name uh, address rather than the regional counselor, just so it can be filed with your application, but maybe not bother the person who specifically is reading your application. Maybe that's splitting hairs. What do you think?
4: Yeah, I think it depends. Like if you've been in contact with that person, if they visited your high school or you had an interview with them, I think at, you know, reach out directly. I don't think. It yeah, really... that's true. Yeah.
1: That like, I mean. I mean, I had great relationships with students I met on the road, and they would write in and say, Hey, I wanted to update you on this thing. It was nice to hear from students that you had met previously, but I think getting an email from somebody out of the blue was sort of like, Oh, I would just forward it along to our admission team and let them file it in the right spot. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, this has been a great trip down memory lane uh, for us and hopefully some helpful things for students. I waiting is definitely the hardest part. Um, but sometimes you just have to, uh, it's, it's just part of this process. And, uh, we hope very much that there's confetti and an opportunity to celebrate on the other side of the waiting. So um, best of luck over the, the next couple of months. Uh, Abigail, thanks for coming on the show.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: Folks, when we come back, we will be talking about what to do after you've applied for college finance. So a little bit of a look at uh, how the money dovetails with the application process. Don't want to go away.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more.
3: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Everyone, welcome back to the show. Um,
1: Before we get to our final segment for today, I want to do a little promotion uh, for a conversation that we're going to be having coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, Sally Ganga and I, our co-hosts, are going to read a a new book that has been written by Jeffrey Salingo. I'm holding it up here for those of you who are on Zoom and can see it. It's called Who Gets In and Why? A Year Inside College Admissions. Now, Sally and I don't know quite what to expect from this book or what the content of the book will be, but we're excited because Salingo <laughs> is a major reporter and he's diving into the world that we know so well. So we'd like to invite you for extra credit if you would like to do so. You can read this book and be prepared for the conversation that we are going to have. We're still finalizing the details. It wouldn't be any earlier than next week, January 14th, that we talk about the book, but I'm likely to want to push it to January 28th, just to give all of you a little time to get it from your library, maybe pick up a copy on an e-reader if you want to do so, and then we'll dive in and discuss. And if you have any questions that come out of reading the book, you can always send that to us at our email account, which is going to be getting in dash America at gmail.com. All right, great. Let's turn now to the final segment of the show for today. I'll toss that book aside. Um, joining me uh, from out in New Hampshire is my colleague on the college finance side of the coin. We've got Alex Bickford here with us today. Hey, Alex. What's going on, Ian? How are you? I'm doing well. Um, We just spoke with Abigail in the last segment about what to do once you've submitted your application, how you can wait patiently, essentially. (laughs) Um, But I think with the finance piece, there's a little bit more sort of planning and getting things in order that families might be able to do to prepare for college in the fall. So let's assume that we're in a position where we've applied for financial aid. Um, maybe we're looking into scholarships of some kind, but we sort of feel like, okay, we've taken care of the big things so far and just kind of waiting to hear back. What are some steps that we can take in the very near future and maybe over the next couple of months to help stay on track for finance?
3: Sure. So the first thing that I would say, actually kind of piggybacking off of what Abigail was saying is you do have to be a little bit patient on the finance side as well. While there's a lot of things we'll discuss that you can do proactively, Uh, and some things that you can think about and some things your student can think about. Uh, You also don't want to get super excited about a financial aid package that comes in without seeing everything else that's coming down the line. We kind of want to get all of our packages in a row, see all the college acceptances we get, see all of the financial aid and scholarship offers we might get and think about, okay, is there a way strategically that I can use one of these offers to make other offers even better?
1: Gotcha. Okay. And so is there any sort of, recommendation that you have around changes to a college list? Because you're sort of pointing to an opportunity to negotiate a little bit. And I think sometimes we'll take a look at a student's final college list and we'll say, there aren't any schools here that are going to be flexible with you. Or these are all schools that are only using financial need to determine the awards that they're going to give to families. Um, How might you encourage students to think about you know, especially in early January, whether there is a potential change to that college list.
3: Yeah. Well, and I think that starts with having a conversation openly as a family about what the budget really looks like. Do you have a good understanding about what the college costs really are? Do we have a good understanding of what the potential either need-based offers or or merit-based offers coming in are? Uh, and if we're really confident and really comfortable with what those offers might be or with what the college costs are, then great. You're probably in a, in a good spot from at least a financial standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're looking at that and having any type of anxiety, uh, in saying, geez, I'm not really sure that those college costs are going to be what I need them to be, uh, a- as a family then you need to make sure you have a financial safety school added to that list. And I'll let, you know, you can certainly talk about what the implications of applying at this stage of the game are. uh, But whether it be an in-state public school that you could get on board with or whether it be a private school that might be looking at you and looking at your kind of resume and your attributes and saying, geez, we really like this kid. Uh, What can we do to get them here? So maybe spurring some merit offers, Uh, making sure that one of those schools is on the list to say, okay, I know that I'm not going to be stuck between this school that my family can't afford. And then taking a gap, year going to community college, if that's not right for me, if it's right right. for me, perfect.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I I think, you know, we're going to have sometime in the next couple of weeks, we will be doing a segment on whether it's too late to apply for college. And I think what you're going to find is that there are a lot of schools that have deadlines that go into the February, March, maybe even as late as the summer, um, you know, these tend to be schools that are less selective, but they're also yeah. going to be tend to be schools that are what you might consider a financial safety as well. Sure. Um, so when those things can overlap, I think that there might be an opportunity to put that into your process. And I love what you're saying about a conversation, right? Like it's, it's really, really important to have this discussion Early and often, uh, you don't want it to be something that comes up in March or in April. And if you missed an opportunity to look at a, a financial safety school that might have had a deadline in in the early part of the spring.
3: That's exactly it. And, you know, I know we're, we're mainly talking to students who have already applied and they're kind of like in the midst of this process. But for families out there who are a little bit earlier on in the process, maybe a year away from being in this segment, yeah. uh, really talk about budget beforehand if you can. So you make sure that in, in kind of developing that college list from the very beginning, we're having that right mix of schools on there from both the academic and, and of course, the financial side as well.
1: Yeah, the, the budget question, I think, is a really interesting one because it, it really sort of fits into um, two different buckets, right? So as a family, you want to think about your budget as it pertains to the cost of college. And maybe that's something that you do a year in advance of applying. If you're a 2022 graduate, you're starting to have that conversation with your family. But there might also be a conversation around budgeting for a student who's going away to college right. in the next eight or nine months, how might families start to think about that more immediate conversation around budget um, and how to prepare for the expectations that come with those bills?
3: So yeah, there's, I mean, there's a couple of big things that that come
1: into play there. Obviously we have the the big
3: one that sticks out to us, which is the college cost budget and how we're going to cover those expenses. Uh, But then we also have the budget of okay, my student going off to school, a lot of them very likely are leaving the home for the first time, right. going off and maybe living on campus. Well, we got to get that student's just financial budget kind of in control, their kind of personal finance budget in control as well. We've got this big expense over here, but we don't want to forget about this little one over here that seems kind of minor and seems kind of like on the back back end here, uh, but can really get out of control with credit card debt and, and things of that nature. So, I think, you know, there are two things to address. Certainly you want to think about, okay, these college costs, we've got some estimates here. Can we get a better aid package? Uh, and then how are we going to cover the rest? And whether it be through loans or whether it be through kind of looking at your budget, your household budget and saying, okay, the students go off to college or are, are my electricity bills going down? Uh, are my food bills going down? Yes. Our uh, insurance bills going down, you know, all of these different things that, you may not think about, but maybe that's, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month that you can put towards the cost. That's right. Uh, and then are you do you have assets that you're using um, to pay for college? And, and when does it make sense to make those assets really readily available and liquid for college?
1: Yeah, I, I, it's really interesting to hear you talk about this because I think, especially over the last, I want to say three to five years at Bright Horizons College Coach, we've developed some really interesting programming around money management and raising wise kids when it comes to budgeting. And, and it's something that I see that my my colleagues over on College Finance are just so interested in because it it's such an important part of this process. It's not just filling out the FAFSA and knowing what the profile is and how to answer these questions. It's also saying, well, this is actually a bigger question around right how you can afford to pay for everything that goes with college and be in a smarter place when it comes time to managing that money. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations about what students can kind of think about as they're going off for the first time and starting to be responsible for their own pocketbook? I don't know if people even have pocketbooks yeah. anymore, but you know, the the analog to the pocketbook. Sure.
3: sure. Well, let me ask you a question first, Ian. You know, Do you have friends out there that kind of uh, seem to really be struggling with with college debt or or debt in general or just finances in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's something where there isn't a lot of you have to go looking for the help. It's not something that's yeah. proactively offered to you, and then knowing who to trust in that context, I think, can be right. really really challenging. It's like, do I just Google it or
3: right.
1: <laughs> am I looking for something more reliable? It feels like something more reliable is necessary here. A- absolutely, and I think that that's one
3: of the bigger problems is that that folks of our kind of generation and in our age group, we're seeing a lot of them that are still holding on to that college debt, yeah. that are still holding on to maybe even credit card bills that they accumulated while in college. Uh, and so what you're really doing is, you know, those four years of your life are very expensive years, uh, and you have the opportunity uh, before and certainly while you're in college to make them less expensive so that you can live the life you want to live once you get outside of college. That's right, Uh, and maybe live like a poor college student while you're in college, because that's, in fact, what you are.
1: It's, as you mentioned, those four years being expensive years, I almost felt like they're expensive for more than four years, if you make certain kinds of choices that that will linger on into the future. And, you know, this isn't necessarily about the conversation around student loans, which I think are sort of necessary, right? Like, you have to pay your tuition. But I remember my first During orientation week in my first year of college, going into this sort of, you know, booth, and it was all the banks were lined up there where you could put in an application for your first credit card. And so all the students were coming in to sign up for a bank account or to sign up for a credit card. And there was nobody there that was saying, well, here's how to actually manage that. Right. Uh, it was. It was so, I want to get
3: the the college T shirt or the college sweatshirt that they were offering to get me right. to sign up for that credit card.
1: And now it's my Now I'm building credit. And now if I if I owe on a bill for one year, then I'm you know that's going to affect my my credit score score later on down the road. So well, and,
3: and you're exactly right. Ian. so so interesting. You mentioned there. This is a this is my building credit, uh, and that's really it. It's a great opportunity uh, to build credit and establish good habits uh, mm-hmm. and put yourself in a position four years from now, five years from now to get that car loan or get that mortgage or whatever it is that you're looking for uh, when you're out of college and kind of starting your adult life. Uh, But it's also a really big uh, possibility for mistakes and and really costly mistakes that will stick with you far beyond that first car purchase or first home purchase. Uh, You know, I I have friends that, that, you know, taking credit cards out in, in college, still five, six years after college, we're paying those credit card bills off. Uh, and so it's a really big opportunity um, if you use it wisely. Uh, and I think that's really what's important is establishing those good habits early on, setting those standards early on, because if you don't, it tends to get out of control.
1: That, that makes a ton of sense to me. And so, what, you know, everything that we're sort of focused on here, I think there it's great fodder for a conversation around the dinner table, or maybe, you know, you go to yeah. a, go out for a coffee or go for a walk and you can start to talk about things like, credit, like establishing these good habits, because these are things that I think it takes years to learn this stuff, but it can actually be imparted with some smart wisdom just over the span of a couple of hours, if you're willing to have that discussion. Um, Now, Alex, I wanted to, we've got about two minutes left and I do want to talk briefly about negotiation um, because I know that there still is an opportunity at this point to sort of think about your different offers and just what would you say just as sort of, We'll talk about negotiation in greater detail later on this year, I think, as the offers start to come in. Um, But are there any tips that you can just, you know, give to families right now to be thoughtful about that negotiation position?
3: Right. So it, it really depends on the family. So we might be, you know, there might be families that are listening in now that have all their offers. They've got all their offers on the table. They know the position that they're in. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would say as soon as you have all the offers you're going to have, uh, start thinking about how to negotiate and start thinking about uh, writing that letter to the school and start thinking about kind of having those conversations with the college about about really reducing those costs, uh, because you certainly want to be in as early as possible, uh, but while you have all the leverage you're going to have. So you don't want to go in too early and, and have a really good financial aid offer or a really inexpensive school be, that you're going to be accepted to suddenly come down the line. Uh, you want to have all of those offers in hand and then approach, you know, whatever those top schools are.
1: Gotcha. So sort of know what the circumstances are before you move forward with the plan of attack for whatever that you've got. That's
3: right. Yeah. Don't be too eager, but don't be too late.
1: That's great. Uh, well, I really appreciate that, Alex. And I think it was a great conversation. We talked about quite a few different things that hopefully will be helpful for family. So thanks for coming on the show. No, thanks for having me, Ian. Yeah, really glad to be able to do so. All right, folks, that does it for this week's edition of Getting In. We've got some great shows lined up for you in 2021. If there's anything you want us to cover in future segments, feel free to drop us an email and, and we'll talk about it. It might be something that can come on a future show and share it with you. Uh, until then, I hope you have a great start to 2021. We'll look forward to seeing you here every Thursday live or you can download us as a podcast uh, and we'll continue the conversation on into
0: uh, 2021. Take care.